WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to wrfi.org slash donate. After the headline news, you'll hear two features today. To start, you'll hear about a rally held in opposition to the fires of firings of Ithaca College faculty and staff amid economic fallout from the pandemic. But first, here's the weather forecast, courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, rain and snow likely with lows in the mid-30s. Tomorrow, rain and snow likely, then showers with highs in the low 40s. Tomorrow night, chances of rain and snow, then chances of snow showers, and lows in the mid-20s. Then Wednesday, chances of snow showers with lows in the mid-30s. And now here's tonight's news for Ithaca and Watkins Glen. In local news, there was a public COVID exposure involving an employee at the Ithaca, Texas Roadhouse restaurant. According to the Ithaca Voice, the exposures occurred on Tuesday, November 10th from 3 p.m. until 10 p.m. and Wednesday, November 11th from 3.30 p.m. till 8 p.m. Tompkins County health officials are urging diners who were present at those times to get tested and monitor any symptoms closely. Looking at the local COVID-19 caseload, the latest numbers from the Tompkins County Health Department website indicate that there are six additional positives and 13 new recoveries. Three more people have been hospitalized with complications from the virus, bringing the total number of hospitalizations to seven. According to the health department, that's 135 active cases of COVID remaining in Tompkins County. In Schuyler County, there are seven new cases of COVID-19 reported as of today, with the total of 35 active cases, according to their health department. Four people are hospitalized with complications from COVID-19, and in addition, a report from the health department website indicates that contact tracing investigations that had begun Saturday for two workplace clusters have now been completed. There are no public exposure risks from either workplace. The Council of Ivy League Presidents announced Thursday evening that they were canceling all winter sports, as well as delaying the potential start of spring sports. The Cornell Daily Sun reports that the announcement will also put to at rest any possibility of fall sports playing in the spring, as all fall sports are now canceled as well. The cancellation will mean that both the men's and women's hockey teams at Cornell will not compete this session, compete this season. The teams both ended last season ranked number one in the nation. The men's program was ranked number six coming into the new season, and the women's program was ranked number two. The perennial power wrestling program will not also will also not compete this season. No will men's and women's basketball, gymnastics, swimming and diving, or squash. In a statement, the Ivy League presidents said, quote, 
Regrettably, the current trends regarding transmission of the COVID-19 virus and subsequent protocols that must be put in place are impeding our strong desire to return to intercollegiate inter athletics competition in a safe manner, end quote. Democrat Tracy Metrano officially conceded the election for the New York 23rd Congressional District to incumbent Tom Reed, according to the Ithaca Times. Metrano had delayed conceding the election while absentee ballots were being counted. The counting of the ballots has yet to be completed, but Metrano felt that she would not be able to make up the votes needed to win. In a statement, Metrano said, I have grown very impatient with waiting to thank my supporters and provide closure for all of us, unquote. She goes on to express her belief in an accurate ballot count and a fair election. Earlier today, New York State Supreme Court Judge Christopher Baker dismissed a lawsuit filed by Leslie Stanks Burke, the Democratic candidate for New York's 58th State Senate District. Stanks Burke filed the lawsuit earlier this month, claiming that Schuyler County Republican Commissioner, Commissioner of the Board of Elections, Joseph Fazare, had prevented her campaign from inspecting affidavit ballots that the BOE had decided were invalid. Judge Baker ruled that Danksburg did not follow New York law to obtain jurisdiction over the board. In response to Judge Baker's ruling, the Danksburg campaign released a statement today asserting that Fazari's actions were motivated by partisan politics. The statement adds that Danksburg's attorney went to serve legal papers to the Schuyler BOE, but that the commissioner hid behind the door to avoid being served. Later, Danksburg's attorney attempted to deliver the papers to the Schuyler County attorney, but was told that the matter was out of their jurisdiction. Following election night, November 3rd, the incumbent Republican State Senator Tom O'Mara led Danksburg by 23,000 votes. The New York State Law allows Board of Elections to accept mail-in ballots and absentee ballots until seven days after the election, and as a result, ballots are, being still, are still being counted. There were a total of 33,000 absentee ballots received by Boards of Elections in the 58th District, and counting is ongoing. The 100 block of Aurora Street will reopen to vehicular traffic today, the Ithaca Times reports. The road has been closed as a part of the Ithaca Streetery all summer to allow for outdoor dining. With the weather becoming colder and the outdoor dining season ending, the Streetery project is now over. City officials commended local residents on making the project a success and encouraged them to continue to support small businesses and restaurants. At its regular meeting on Thursday, November 12th, the Cornell Student Assembly discussed a proposed resolution calling for the disarmament of Cornell University Police, or CUPD. This discussion follows a resolution which passed 17 to 8 in late October calling for the department to cut ties with the Ithaca Police Department. The Cornell Daily Sun reports that some members of the Student Assembly asserted that the CUPD does not need to carry lethal weapons to carry out their campus duties. Assembly member Lucy Contreras, class of 2021, pointed out that other institutions, such as the Portland State University, are disarming their police. Portland State did so after a fatal shooting in 2018 of a U.S. postal worker on its campus. One student questioned whether Cornell University police could monitor its campus without the option of force. 
And another suggested that the department could use non-lethal arms but have lethal weapons as an available option if necessary. Other assembly members expressed concerns that expressed concerns that armed university police responding to a mental health crisis might respond with force. One student responding, responded that Cornell is, dis, is discussing a, quote, police alternative, unquote, unit to respond to reports of mental health crises. The meeting concluded with assembly members voting to table the resolution until its November 19th meeting. In New York State news, Governor Andrew Cuomo is threatening to join a lawsuit against the Trump administration if the administration's plan to distribute the COVID-19 vaccine does not change, according to Politico New York. Cuomo is arguing that the plan to distribute the vaccine through private health care providers like CVS and Walgreens will only serve more wealthy communities and will not serve black and brown communities as well. Minority communities in New York City and around the country have been especially hard hit by the pandemic. In a statement, Cuomo said, quote, the black and brown communities that were, on, that were first on the list of who died cannot be the last on the list of who received the vaccine, period, end quote. If changes are not made to the administration's plan, Cuomo said the state will join a lawsuit with the NAACP and the Urban League. Fewer than 24,000 clean energy jobs were added nationwide in October, according to a new report, leaving that, leaving more than 13% of the sector's labor force still unemployed. Andrea Sears of the Public News Service has the story. Three out of four clean energy workers who lost their jobs at the beginning of the COVID pandemic are still out of work, according to a new report. The study from E2, E4 The Future, and the American Council on Renewable Energy says almost half a million clean energy workers nationwide have lost their jobs since the end of last year. That includes solar and wind energy installers, factory workers, and building efficiency contractors. October marked the fourth straight month of less than 1% job growth in the clean energy sector. Philip Jordan is vice president of BW Research Partners, which produced the report. He believes the ongoing pandemic is a major factor in the slow rebound. Getting the virus under control is critically important because a lot of these jobs depend on people going to buildings to work. They depend on feeling comfortable and safe, allowing contractors to come into your home or your office. He says uncertainty about the pandemic's overall impact on the economy and about the federal government's commitment to reducing carbon emissions also are slowing the recovery. New York has fared much better than most states. Only 8.1% of clean energy workers remain unemployed. Jordan says that's because businesses and investors have more confidence that those jobs will last. There's been a very clear communication of New York's continued commitment to its climate goals. And New York has worked very hard to keep the virus under control. More than 40 states continue to have unemployment rates of 10 percent or more in the clean energy sector. And in five states, the rate is more than 20 percent. Action on the federal level also is critical. Jordan points out that clean energy can be a major source of jobs needed to rebuild the economy, and infrastructure is key. Expanding federal programs for things like weatherization, direct money into energy efficiency and buildings, 
favorable and financeable tax credits for renewables, and then grid modernization and modernization of ports, particularly around offshore wind areas. He says the federal clean energy jobs program would provide good-paying jobs to the working class while helping meet the carbon reduction goals needed to combat climate change. For New York News Connection, I'm Andrea Sears. President Trump is still refusing to concede the election, saying without evidence that just Biden won because of voter fraud. In cities and counties across the country, voters passed roughly 20 police reform ballot measures. More on the latest U.S. election news, courtesy of our friends over at Pacifica Network and the Public News Service. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 elections in uncharted territory. Trump says, make America great again. And that's a vision of an America that is not multicultural, is not protecting of people that are diverse in religion and, and gender identity and so forth. Kenneth Stern with the Bard College Center for the Study of Hate says there's overlap between President Donald Trump's rhetoric and the ideologies of many far-right white supremacist groups. Thousands of people converged on Washington, D.C. this weekend for what organizers hoped would be a million MAGA march, protesting the results of the election. Some Republican members of Congress attended, as well as members of far-right groups like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters. Trump tweeted his first semi-recognition of Biden's victory yesterday, but continued falsely claiming fraud. In his first public remarks since the election, on Friday he conceded only to the idea he may not be in the White House next year. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully the the uh, whatever happens in the future, who knows which administration it will be. I guess time will tell. His remarks focused largely on taking undue credit for the Pfizer vaccine that recently announced a promising trial. Pfizer said it did not receive any funding from the administration, and it's not likely to be available to the majority of the American public in the time frame Trump touted. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo called the Trump administration's current distribution plan, quote, an affront. If the Trump administration does not change this plan and does not provide an equitable vaccine process, we will enforce our legal rights. Georgia has until Wednesday to finish their manual recount of paper ballots. The results must be certified this Friday and then prepare for the January Senate runoffs. President-elect Joe Biden may campaign in Georgia for the Senate candidates in the coming months, according to Biden's team. Lorella Preley with Community Change Action says voter engagement efforts, especially in the state's black and brown communities, are crucial. I am optimistic because there are groups like New Georgia Project on the ground working to fight for every vote. Almost six months since the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, cities and counties have roughly 20 local police reform ballot measures to implement. Philadelphia, Columbus, and a few other cities established civilian oversight boards. Professor David Hooker at the University of Notre Dame says police violence is a systemic issue and will require a lot more. People's Budget LA, that group that's been working for more than a decade, maybe 15 years, has been changing the narrative over time to say we want to spend our money on things that meet universal human needs as opposed to incarceration, marginalization, and punishment. People's Budget LA was one of many groups that got ballot measure J passed in Los Angeles. It will allocate funding for community investment and alternatives to incarceration. From Pacifica Network and Public News Service and produced for television by Free Speech TV, I'm Lily Bolke. Thanks for listening. And that concludes our headline news for tonight. Coming up, you'll hear about a rally held in opposition to the firings of Ithaca College faculty and staff amid fallout of the pandemic. 
That's after a break on WRFI Community Radio News. Stay with us. I will never be alone in this land. I will never be Felix Teitelbaum and Christian Matry is my co-host. In early October, Ithaca College Provost announced that the college would be cutting approximately 130 full-time equivalent positions from its faculty. Faculty, students, alumni, and community members have raised serious objections to the move. Over 690 people have signed on to an open letter protesting planned layoffs at the college, and dozens turned out to a protest held on Saturday at Ithaca College. Up next on our program, WRFI news contributor Fred Balfour, along with help from uh, my co-host Christian Maitre, looks at the community members' objections through the lens of three of four major goals in a recently completed strategic document, Ithaca Forever. Here's their report. In 2017, Ithaca College welcomed its new president, Dr. Shirley Coyado. In 2018, President Coyado initiated a community-wide strategic planning process named Imagining Ithaca. In October 2019, President Coyado officially announced the long-term strategic plan, Ithaca Forever. One month ago, College Provost Lejeune Cornish announced that 130 FTEs, or full-time equivalent positions, will be cut. Today, the college administration is in wide disagreement with the tenured and tenure-track faculty with the contingent or non-tenured faculty, with the students and with the alums and with hundreds of community members. A November 14th protest by over 100 people among these groups illustrates the issues swirling around the disagreement. Note that an FTE is not necessarily one employee being cut, but could be two half-time employees being cut. At the protest, Organized by Ithaca College students, many comments focused on potential cuts. As a student at Ithaca College, I just feel like it's so awful what they're doing to our professors um, and our staff. Yeah, I'm here because I'm concerned about people losing their jobs. Oh, to support, just to support all the uh, faculty and staff who have been let go or are going to be let go. A number of issues have been raised over the six weeks since the announcement of the proposed cuts. COVID-19, terminations with no recourse, lack of transparency where students and faculty cannot understand why firings are necessary, and lack of shared governance where faculty, staff, and students are denied a presence and or information in the decision-making process. In past weeks, President Coyado has stated that the potential layoffs are a result of the school's strategic plan and come as a response to lower enrollment. Provost Cornish cites the pandemic. But how has the strategic plan, or Ithaca Forever, affected the administration's plans? Ithaca Forever's opening pages state four major long-term goals that appear to be directly violated by the employment cuts and the process. For example, 
One of the four major goals under the heading of collaboration and governance reads, quote, structurally support and value collaboration, interdisciplinarity, curricular flexibility, and shared governance, unquote. Faculty and students strongly state that shared governance is being denied. Here's contingent faculty member Rachel Fommelhout. The, the coalition that um, wrote the Open the Books letter and that's organizing the rally, this really is a coalition of students and faculty and uh, staff and also community members, concerned community members. And I would say that as a large group, our immediate goal is to uh, get the college to to really involve the community in decisions that affect the college. Those austerity measures are things that are in our sights to immediately uh, put into question and to um, delay until the community can have a say in how we want to handle the the situation in front of us. Um, The long-term goal, I would say, is to have actual shared governance. Remember that, everyone? (laughs) To have actual shared governance and community decision-making, community problem-solving be the way that we go. Another of the four major goals in the Ithaca Forever document under the heading Student Success states, quote, become a model for student success, engagement, and well-being, unquote. Students are clearly feeling not engaged. Here's a spokesperson from the November 14th rally. I'm here to bring representation for our fellow students, for our fellow POC community, and for our fellow POC staff. Um, just to really dissect that these issues go bigger than just IC, but these issues are a major part in creating the solidarity and diverse campus and keeping our POC staff, who are especially being targeted during this time, um, but more importantly, just bringing the community together and bringing young students and older students together as one to bring solidarity and to bring a movement towards fighting for our teachers and fighting for our faculty in any way possible. And the third of four major goals is titled Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and states, quote, become a national model for colleges committed to the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, unquote. Over the past two years, the faculty has worked closely with the administration in hiring for diversity, and a number of black, indigenous, people of color, or BIPOC faculty have been hired. But faculty and students speaking out Note that the prospect of last hired, first fired is a looming possibility. Here's Formalhout again. There's a piece in the letter about the vulnerability, particularly of Black, Indigenous, and faculty of color because of a few things. One is because of the order in which uh, the firings have been announced, they're going to happen, um, which is going to be from the bottom rungs up. Well, the people in those bottom rungs are far disproportionately represented by women and by BIPOC faculty, and that's nationally. We don't have exact data for IC, but we have no reason to think that it's any different at IC um, without data than it is nationally. I asked Formalhout if the administration has the data on gender and racial diversity hiring. We know that exists. It would be great if the college was collecting data on that and like pointing our attention to that fact and sharing how they're going to make sure that, um, you know, we are anti-racist going forward and that we are anti-misogynist going forward. We recently, like last year, hired 
across multiple departments, there was a big push to hire a strong cohort of tenure eligible um, uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color faculty. So if they were just hired and now we're having these cuts that are going to move from the bottom up, how are we keeping those faculty that we just made a big push to hire that we made promises in order to bring here to a predominantly white institution in a predominantly white town? Like, how are we going to make sure that we're not getting rid of those faculty first? And how are we going to um, how are we going to retain them for, for students? WRFI contacted Ithaca College for comment on the matter and David Malley. Director of Public Relations, passed along this statement. He writes about IC's need to maintain a sustainable size in order to continue affordability and an environment that fosters, quote, academic success, equity and inclusion, and an enriching experience, unquote. Mele also adds that the current size of the college is unsustainable and that, quote, the difficult but necessary steps are being taken to align our academic offerings with the student interest and institutional need, unquote. In summary, the overall goals of the document, Ithaca Forever, in theory should be a strong influence and guide when the college encounters problems and emergencies. On one side, the faculty and students that we interviewed for this report believe that Ithaca Forever is being ignored and or violated. Conversely, the administration states that they are moving forward with faculty collaboration and a student-centered approach. No mention made by the administration of diversity and collaboration seems a weak synonym for shared governance. All higher education institutions are grappling with the pandemic. Ithaca College appears to be approaching the immediate future with wide differences between the administration and most of its constituencies. For WRFI Community Radio, this is Fred Balfour in Ithaca, New York. producers for WRFI contributors Fred Balfour and Christian Maitre. Christian Maitre was my co-anchor today, and I'm Felix Teitelbaum, WRFI's general manager. Michaela Savitt is WRFI news director and executive producer of the program. If you have a question, tip, or comment for the news team, you can reach our news team at uh, news at ithacaradio.org. Call or text us at 607-441-9734 or reach us through the website. We'll be back tomorrow night and every weekday evening at 6 to bring you more of the stories impacting our communities. On behalf of the entire WRFI Community Radio News team, take care, be well, and have a pleasant evening.
One, two, three. W R F I.